want us tonight to <clears throat> speak to the Lord with more than just rhetoric, more than just form or ritual. I want people in this building tonight that literally, I'm talking about in actuality, you want God to breathe upon us tonight with his desire and with his word. And if you do, I want you tonight to lift your hands with me and I want us to pray. And I want you to pray for the lips of your feeble pastor's efforts tonight. Pray for the lips of your pastor. Pray for the ears of every individual in the building. But I want us to pray most of all for our hearts that we could receive what the word of the Lord would like to get across to us. Praise God. It's hard for me to set the stage sometimes. I just very awkwardly sometimes to try to prepare you or build a frame for what you're about to hear. All I know to tell you is that sometimes the Lord speaks to you and you're just driving down the road and when it happens sometimes you're studying or reading and it's quickened. Sometimes you're hearing another preacher and God will quicken something to your heart that may be related to what he has to say and may be totally unrelated. But I, I, I suppose that some of the sweetest things that the Lord has ever shared with me was sometimes in that twilight zone. Brother, Brother Barnes explained that to me one time. He said it's sometimes it's in that twilight zone that God can speak to you when you're unencumbered with the cares of the day and you, you, you're not really asleep and yet you're not really awake. It's that time when God has total access to your mind. And some of the sweetest things that I've ever gotten from God has been in that particular time. Messages for sermons, funerals, special occasions. Well, all I know to tell you is that's the way it happened this afternoon. When I tried to rest, the Lord spoke to me in that twilight zone, and I heard, I heard the scripture that I'm going to use, and I heard the subject as it came to me while I was in that twilight zone. So with that setting tonight, <clears throat> if there's a wise heart anywhere in the building, hint to the wise is sufficient. I'd like for us to prepare our hearts. I'm not going to preach a long, drawn-out sermon tonight. I've got most probably of what, most of what I'm going to say written on a piece of paper, which is very unusual. But I want us tonight to receive what God has, and the only way we'll do that is to humble our hearts before God, humble ourselves in the presence of God, and just ask, God, speak to me tonight. Let me hear your voice. Let me hear your word. Let me hunger for your way of thinking. 
let's let's lift our hands and our voices and let's talk to the Lord. Father, I love you tonight. I love you so much. 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 I love you so very, very much. God, please anoint us. Please anoint us. Please anoint us. Please anoint us, Lord. Please anoint us. God, anoint the lips of your feeble servant, the ears of your people. But God, stir our hearts tonight. Oh, God, stir our hearts tonight. Stir our hearts tonight. Stir our hearts tonight. Stir our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you want to mark your Bible, rather than for there to be a lot of hustling and bustling right now, if you have your Bible handy, just quietly turn the book of Romans, chapter 11. Verse 13 <clears throat> reads, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? But if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. But if God spared not the natural branches, 
take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, and blindness in part is happened to Israel unto the fullness, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Take note of verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. I thank you for your kindness. You may be seated. That was Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> I'd like to turn to Romans chapter 2 now and read a few scriptures in Romans 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient 
continuance in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For your <clears throat> consideration tonight, verse 4 of chapter 2, I lift for our spotlight tonight of observance, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Would you say that with me tonight? Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. And then in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God. The goodness and severity. Please tonight, please behold both ends of the spectrum. Please be apprised of the total picture. For those of you tonight that have wandering eyes, you represent the fact that you have a wandering mind. And I humbly beg of you for your soul's sake, give undivided attention to what the Holy Ghost would like to say to you. It is of utmost importance that we get a clear picture of both ends of the spectrum. Our lives must be balanced. Would you say that with me? Our lives must be balanced. There was a Calvary and there was a Pentecost. My sermon tonight is simply a question that asks this. Do you have enough cross in your life? I want you to close your eyes with me right now, and I want you to ask yourself as I ask myself, 
Just simply close your eyes and ask yourself the question, do I have enough cross in my life? The scriptures that I have read tonight, one tells you emphatically that it is the plan and the heart of God that the goodness of God would lead men to repentance. It is not the plan nor purpose of God that catastrophe or disaster or tragedy drive men to repentance. The plan of God is that the goodness of God lead men to repentance. Now, when I don't get any more response than that, it, 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 it creates a wonder in my mind. Did you get it? If you didn't get it, there's no need for me to go on. I'll have to stay there until everybody gets it. Remember, our lives must be balanced. Behold the goodness of God. But please don't forget to behold the severity of God. <laughs> to see only the goodness of God would blind us to judgment and to see only the severity of God would blind us to the joy of salvation One who sees only death and judgment has no victory for living. While one who sees only grace and mercy has no place in his life for a cross. I ask you again, do you have enough cross? in your life. While our New Testament counterparts desperately needed Pentecost to lift them from the deep hurt and the gloom of Calvary, we who revel in the glow of Pentecost fire need desperately to feel the weight of a cross to keep our right perspectives. The feel of a cross reminds us of certain things that we cannot afford to forget.
just the feel of the weight of a cross on our back reminds us of duty, honor, responsibility. The weight of a cross reminds us of repentance, forgiveness, loyalty. The weight of a cross reminds us of submission, servitude, and faithfulness. The weight of a cross reminds us of tears, humility, and compassion. I preach to people in this very congregation tonight who have experienced the exhilaration, the liberation, and the joy of Pentecost. But your lives are still out of balance because you have no cross. Do not speak that verdict unkindly tonight, and I perhaps do not speak that verdict to every individual. But I do preach to people in this congregation tonight that your life has been totally void of an understanding of the place of a cross in your experience. I preach to people who have tried in every conceivable manner to rid yourself and to cut free from anything that would tend to be cumbersome or weighty or inconvenient. Because your concept, because of what you're seeing, is that there's nothing in living for God except victory, power, glory, and liberty, deliverance, healing, and miracles. But I preach to you tonight that for us to not have a concept of the severity of God for us not to have a concept of the other end of the spectrum that tends to rob us of the very entities in life that we need that bring our human flesh under subjection. No tears. No repentance, no sorrow, no repentance, no uh, remorse, no repentance, no guilt, no repentance. And I'm preaching to you tonight that somewhere in our lives there must be the influence that whips us or draws us or compels us, or restrains us back into line 
because you and I as human beings don't have the understanding to direct our own path. We've got to have an influence other than human reasoning to guide our lives in the right place and the right perspective. I wish that you and I had such a profound knowledge and such an incomprehensible wisdom that you and I could, as it were, play God and that what we thought about things was the way it was that our ideologies about things were concrete and sure, that when we made a decision about something, that it was as good as the law of the Medes and the Persians, it could not be revoked. I wish that we were of that caliber because it would save face a lot of times and it would cause, uh, well, it, it, it would save a whole lot of embarrassment but the truth of the matter is we're all human beings and we're vulnerable because most of the times we labor with less than a full deck because we don't know the total story. We don't know the total picture. And our minds are, are very fallible and we're very gullible. We can be swayed by things that are not supposed to enter into as influences. We can be marred by things that are suppo not supposed to contaminate. We can, we can be affected by things that should never even enter the picture. So as human beings, we have got to have some influence somewhere that can be trusted and counted on. We've got to have some power of influence somewhere that we can tie our mule to or hang our hat on. We've got to have something somewhere that can be counted infallible and true. Hallelujah. I'm preaching to you tonight that we must have the influence of a holy God in our lives. And we've got to have the influence of a holy word in our lives. We've got to have the influence of an anointed preacher in our lives. We've got to have the influence of faith in our lives. Just because we said it doesn't make it so. But when we align ourselves with the truth of all ages, we can echo truth. And because we said it doesn't make it a lie, we can repeat truth. And it is still truth. It is not in man to direct his own path. It is not within his capability to find his direction to his desired haven. It is not within man's potential nor possibility 
nor capability to save himself. We must have a Savior. We must have another influence. And we must give ourselves to those influences. And I want to thank God with the best of you for the beautiful miracle of Pentecost. And I preached to you a few nights ago about God's perfected plan. It was not God over us or God out in front of us or not just God among us. God's perfected plan was Pentecost. God in us. That's his perfected plan. But for us to only see the power of Pentecost without a knowledge of the cost of the cross, we're out of balance. For us to see salvation free, void of repentance, we're out of balance. For us to seek God's love for humanity without mankind standing before God one day in judgment, we're out of balance. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Are you hearing what I'm saying, Eastwood? So why the cross? Jesus himself said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Why the cross, Brother Ewing? Why the cross? Because the feeling of the weight of the cross on our backs is the influence that brings us back into line. Without the weight of the cross, to those whose lives are still without balance because you have no cross, you can do wrong with no guilt. You can sin without remorse. You can be unfaithful to God with no condemnation. You can live a life that's unholy, carnal, with no fear. You can abuse the standards of the church and the confidence of the brethren with no sorrow. I'm preaching to you tonight. When you have no cross, you live on the very brink of disaster. You live at the edge of a crisis. You are inviting tragedy to your life. And you say, Brother Ewing, I don't understand why you say that. Because when you live without a cross, the thing that's supposed to be your influence, the thing that's supposed to be the lines that strapped to the bridle in your mouth that give you direction, 
the thing that is supposed to bring you back and urge you back into submission. When you have no cross, you're void of that influence in your life. And when you have no concept of the cross in your life, that means the preacher is just another voice. He can say what he wants to say, but your idea is as good as his. I'm preaching to somebody in this house tonight. Something is going to have to get your attention. Something is going to have to get your mind. Something is going to have to tell you when you're wrong. Something is going to have to be the standard to tell you this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Somewhere, something is going to have to whip you back in the line. And if the cross and the ministry don't do it, what else is there, pray tell? When you have no cross, and by virtue of decision, you have no preacher, what else is going to correct your erring path besides tragedy, catastrophe, disaster, crisis? That's the reason some people live from one crisis to another, from one calamity to another, is because they've never known the beauty of the submission of the feel of a cross in their life. And you can't tell them anything else because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear, obey them that have rule over you. They don't want to hear, submit yourselves one to another. They don't want to hear, confess your faults one to another. They don't want to hear, except you repent, you're going to perish. Because they don't need a preacher. They don't want a preacher. They've known the beauty of Pentecost. And that's all they care to hear. I'm preaching to you tonight. Without a cross, you're out of balance. Would you say that with me? Without a cross, you're out of balance. Without a cross, you're incomplete. Without a cross, you don't have your right perspective. Without a cross, you don't have a balanced influence in your life. I thank God for the preaching of the love of God, but I cannot allow myself to be drunken beyond what the love of God represents in my life. The love of God has given me chance after chance. And mercy is still pleading my case. But you hear me. There will be a day when God says, You've had enough now. It's time for mercy to take a seat. And justice take the stand. 
So I cannot allow myself to be drunken on the preaching of the love of God without a concept that I will meet my lifestyle somewhere down the road in judgment. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? I'm asking you, in order to avoid tragedy, in order to, to avoid crises, in order to avoid shipwreck, and the thing that's so, uh, that's so pitiful about people who get into that particular area, when you go so far as to be void of a cross, and you go far enough that the preacher becomes your enemy, if he were to tap you on the shoulder and say, I need to talk to you about some infraction or something that's not right in your life. I wonder tonight, how many of you are mature enough that if I, as your shepherd, were to walk up to you and say, I need to talk to you about something in your life that I feel is not exactly up to par. How many of you would still be my friend if I accosted you and called your hand at some things that I felt was wrong in your life? I'm telling you, there's people in this church tonight. You have done things that were wrong. You have gone places that were wrong. You have committed things that were wrong, but the ministry dare not call your hand at it because I would become like Paul said, I'd become your enemy for telling you the truth. But I got news for you. It don't matter to me which one of you it is, nor who it is, nor where you come from. All I wait on is a signal from the Holy Ghost to talk to you about anything that I feel is not right. And if you happen to be one of those that feel yourself above and beyond the need of a pastor, I'm sure you don't need me as your pastor because I happen to labor under the opinion that everybody that's going to be saved has to have a preacher. And I'm going to do the best I can to fill that place of God's calling in my life. But when you get beyond the need of a preacher, or if the preacher were to tell you something you didn't want to hear, I'm telling you, you heard me say it some time ago, and I'll tell it again tonight. The only concept that some people have of a preacher is to, and the only reason they ever want to tell him anything is because they know they're skirting the brink of disobedience. And they want the preacher to confirm to them that it's all right for them to do what they're already feeling condemned about talking to him about. And when the preacher tells them something they didn't want to hear, when he says, I have another opinion, that's all they want to hear, and they can change churches, they can do anything they want, because they don't want a preacher telling them what he feels God would have them to know. If you happen to be that kind, you're looking at a preacher that's going to keep on telling you whether you want to hear it or not. 
And I'm telling you, if there's nobody left around here, and thank God for revival, and I don't want to sound negative, but I'm preaching to you the same thing that my dad preached years ago. If there's nobody left around here that I've got anything to eat but cornbread and branch water, I'm going to tell you what the Holy Ghost gave Somebody that believes the preaching shout hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and magnify the Lord God of glory in this house tonight. You don't have to you don't have to feel duty bound. That's just somebody trying to inflict you with bondage. You don't have to feel responsible. That's somebody trying to tie you with their apron strings. You don't have to feel to live honorably, representing anybody else. Live your own life. Do your own thing. You don't have to repent. You were made like you are. You don't have to forgive. They shouldn't have done it in the first place. You don't have to be loyal because you're as good as they are. You don't have to be submissive because nobody has the right to tell you what to do. You don't have to have servitude, an attitude of a servant, because the days of slavery were done away with a long time ago. You don't have to be faithful, because who's to say you've got to be tied down to an obligation if something better arises that you wanted to do. You don't have to cry, because he made us to laugh in joy everything you don't have to have humility don't be humble stick out your chest and be proud of who you are you don't have to have compassion because every man has the right to live his own life he's created equal nobody can inflict their desires upon him I'm telling you, we've never lived in such a critical hour where the minds of humanity, with a few little entities and cliches like human rights, women's lib, and a few things like this, we've never seen a day where the minds of humanity were so warped as it is tonight. Because of the warped minds of human beings, there is more and more the void of a concept of a cross in your Christian experience. But I'm preaching to you tonight that if you're going to follow him, it still says you must take up your cross and follow him. And without that cross, it's impossible 
because there are no other influences that will subject you to the proper concept of things. Not the only way that we are ever brought under subjection is when it is made very clear to us that it is our hide that's at stake. About the only way you're going to get anybody to stand up now for anything that's right is if their hide or their pocketbook is affected. But you hear me tonight! There should be an influence in our life that is stronger than what somebody does to affect my pocketbook. There should be an influence in my life that goes beyond my fear of hell. There should be an influence of love in my life to reciprocate for Calvary's price by willingly carrying my cross and its weight with dignity. without a cross you can do wrong with no guilt everybody that was young couple could I have you to stand please all of our young couples How many of you were involved in the Sunday school department this morning? If you were involved in the Sunday school department, you may be seated. If you were working this morning, you may be seated. If you were in Sunday school, Brother, you and you are so cruel. Am I? For you not to have been in the house of God this morning without a reason, that would be a valid reason to stand before God in judgment. You did wrong. Somewhere in the course of the operation of the ministry in this church, got to be instilled that you don't miss 
the house of God just on a whim or a fancy or because you didn't get enough sleep or because you didn't get enough rest or because you didn't get enough whatever. It's got to be learned that to not be faithful to the house of God, you have done God an injustice. Besides, you've done yourself an injustice. Oh, Brother Ewan, it's been quite a while since we've seen that you. There was a time when God allowed me to see some things that needed to be corrected in my own life. And you're looking at a preacher that wants to preach truth more than anything in the world. But you're looking at a preacher that also wants to preach it in the right spirit. There was a time when I preached the things that were right for people to do. I preached it because there was something welled up on the inside of me that literally made me sometimes so infuriated. I'm telling you, people that knew better, it would make me so angry. And I realize that anger has its place. And you say, oh, I didn't know that. But the Word of God says, be angry and sin not. But I've lived to see the place where I've matured enough that I preach things tonight because you don't make me angry when you don't do it. You hurt me when you don't do it. When I see people that don't measure up to the standards of the church, it don't make me mad now. It hurts me because people don't have any better respect or that don't have a greater grip on things because they don't have enough cross. I ask you again tonight, do you have enough cross in your life? And if I hadn't even got angry with me for saying what I did and having you to stand, if you got angry with Pastor for that, that is a sure sign that you don't have enough cross. Humiliation, preacher! You mean? That's what he did. Nobody's humiliating you because you did right. There just comes a little humiliation sometimes because we do wrong. I have, I have witnessed among people of the church in this, in this hour that we live right now, in this warped concept hour, I have, I've seen people that were able to go out and do just about anything they thought they were big enough to do. And they didn't have enough remorse to even know the hurt that they caused to the church of the, of the living God. 
trying so hard to get them over the hump to be strong enough to not be vulnerable to fall to such things. I have seen the attitude of the younger generation to think hardly anymore of immorality and they think of taking a drink of water out in the world. I'm preaching to you tonight that when we can have young people or elders or whoever it is that can sin and still call yourself a Christian without remorse and sorrow, we're living in a sad day. There's no cross in your life. There's not enough cross. And I have seen, I've seen a day where, and I thank God for my heritage. I thank God for my gospel. I thank God for the truth of what we proclaim. But I want to also thank God for the standards that identify us as tongue-talking Pentecostals. And I want everybody in this church tonight, I want to serve you notice now, I don't care what you have heard and I don't care who has blabbed their guts to you or misconstrued or anything else. I want you to hear me tonight. This church has not changed any of its standards. And I'm not saying that for an amen tonight. I'm saying that as a matter of truth. And I see some of you little by little, and it, uh, I, I have to admit to you, I, I, don't, I don't look at, uh, at, at, uh, at, at, at people's apparel sometimes as much as I should. And I guess God has favored me sometimes with giving me uh, an oblivious uh, mind to some of that because if, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if, my, if my spirit got all... Uh, my indignation arose every time I saw an infraction of the standards of the church. I never would be in any shape to stand in this pulpit and preach to you what God wanted me to say because I'd always be so upset that I'd have a message every time I saw somebody that didn't have the right kind of an apparel on. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I, I realize that sometimes things slip my mind. But Joan, would you come here please? Now, Joan has got a dress on tonight that, uh, that, that the hemline is, is, is long enough. She's not Sister Cox from Leesville, but... But her dress is... is, uh, is and I'm not saying that your dress has to be as long as hers tonight, but I am telling you that your dress needs to be to where it will cover your knees. And it needs to be full enough that you don't have to keep pulling and keep scrounging and keep yanking and snatching trying to keep your modesty in the presence of the opposite sex. Some of you ain't never heard me preach like this, but honey, tighten your seatbelt. You're about to hear what God loves, and that's the truth. <laughs> Hallelujah! 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm preaching to you tonight. There's a world out there that says no man should tell you what to do. Nobody has the right to inflict anything on you. But I'm preaching to you tonight that unless you have the feel of a cross in your life, You'll never feel remorse, guilt, sorrow. You'll never feel the need for repentance. And you'll have no guideline to keep you in the bounds of reasoning. And when it comes to dress, the Scripture calls it modesty. Can you unbutton your sleeves? done this before but somewhere between here Somewhere between here and here, there is something called modesty. Years ago, this church set a standard. My dad preached the standard that this church was going to call accepted modesty. Somewhere between here and here. So we set a standard in Eastwood a number of years ago that it would be just below the elbow. Not just above the elbow. Thank God they're out there looking. I've seen some dresses that evidently you've been wearing and buying for summer. You're going to have to go get some lace because I don't want you in the choir with a dress that is not according to the standard that we're trying to hold at Eastwood. Neither do I want you in a Sunday school class. Neither do I want you sitting out here in the pew and, and doing like you want to do without knowing what this church stands for. 
if you don't obey it, I want it to be, don't just be ignorant of it. If you're not going to obey it, let it be rebellion. Not ignorant. And you say, Brother Ewing, nobody's going to tell me how long to wear my hair. Hold on, 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 hold on. You might better take a look in the book before you tell me I'm not going to tell you how long to wear your hair. Because this book is very explicit. But you're not going to tell me how to wear my clothes. Ho, 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 hold on just a minute. I know I cannot to tell you in the scripture that you're going to go to hell if you, and I'm not going to preach that to you now, that you're going to go to hell if you wear your sleeve above your elbow. That's going to be every man with his own conviction if he's pastoring another church or his flock. But I'm telling you, the thing that God has given to us as a feeling of being comfortable, your preacher says, let's do it to where we're modest and we're modest right here. And the truth of the matter is that for you not to do it, it will be wrong. Because, brother, you know the Bible didn't tell me I was going to hell by having my sleeves two, two inches too short. But it did tell you, obey them that have rule over you. You see, what I know and what you know also is if we hit the elbow, it won't be long until it'll be an inch above the elbow. And then in a couple of years, it won't be long until it's halfway to the shoulder. And then you give us 10 years, it'll be out by the roots. I'm talking about sleeves. So I think we've done pretty good in 40 years to still have as good a standard as what we've got here tonight. But what I'm telling you is, why don't we go ahead and get everybody into agreement? Let's do it in modesty and obey them that have rule over you because it pleases God. I don't say that for anybody here tonight that's got an unrighteous, self-righteous spirit to condemn everybody to hell that don't see things. Just I'm not up here preaching judgmental tonight, and I'm not here setting this kind of a standard for you to send anybody else to hell. You let them obey their conscience and follow their preacher. I'm telling you what God has told us, that Eastwood is supposed to raise the banner of holiness and modesty. And I want the world to know there's still some people around that believe it the old-fashioned way. And 40 years hasn't changed our stand on what we believe. Does anybody like this kind of preaching tonight? I just bought.
Joan? I guess maybe I might not better use you anymore up here tonight. But let me just offer a few suggestions. If you've got a dress that is not up to par, you find you some hem material and you throw you a little extension on it. Or you find you a matching color and you throw you a little put you a little sailor cap just whatever you need to do you say brother Ewing brother Ewing brother Ewing brother Ewing what difference does just two inches of material mean that's what I'd like to know. Since two inches of material would have put you in obedience instead of disobedience, what I'm wondering is what difference did the two inches make? For some of our precious young converts, you need to learn things like you're hearing tonight in discipleship class. You need to hear what you're hearing tonight in a lesson where you go through the Bible and they can prove to you and, and see. I'm, 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 just, I'm just establishing facts tonight. I'm not going through here and teaching and qualifying. That's what teaching is. When you give scriptural evidence to prove everything you say. Somewhere the standards got to be set and we'll come along and teach or you'll find it somewhere in Scripture. I wish tonight that we had the, the time to go into all the Scriptures and, and, and prove to you according to the Scripture that God is just as interested in your outward apparel. He does not want us to look the part of the world inwardly or outwardly. He does not want us to shew forth the, the glory and the ego of man in our dress. He does not want us to exude riches, nor fame, nor fortune, nor positions with our dress. Just be modest, be holy, and God will love you, and God will honor that. And I'm saying uh, to, to some of you tonight, Brother Ewing, what about people that don't hear what we're hearing? What about them? I'm telling you, don't worry about them. Let God deal with that pastor and let God deal with that missionary. Let God deal with whoever he will, however he will. I'm just telling you that when God breathes upon us a spirit of wanting to get right, with God it affects us the cross affects us in every area of our lives our conversations our place of attendance our money our dress everything we do is touched by the effect of the cross in our lives 
and without a cross, no remorse. Without a cross, no shame. Without a cross, no guilt. It's only 10 minutes after 9. Some of you, it probably feels like I've been preaching a long time. And I haven't been preaching that long. And I've got a few other things that I'd like to, I'd like to cover tonight. We have lived to see the day where people, under the guise of being honest, can be as cruel as the days are long and can say hurtful things that do untold damage to others, all under the guise of being honest. You hear me tonight. A wrong spirit can get a hold of you. with a desire to even protect the thing that is worthy of protection. But you can do it with a spirit that is as rotten as the sin is you're trying to correct. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? We've got to work on our attitudes concerning one another. And you don't speak cruelly nor unkindly to anybody. If you're going to correct something, please do it in a spirit of love. If you're going to say something corrected to somebody, if you can't have the right spirit to say it, please leave it without saying it. Concerning marriage and divorce, I wish that our world were not plagued by the satanic attack on the institution of the home. I wish that were not the case. But I want to serve notice to this church tonight. If your marriage winds up in difficulty, you can get rid of your companion the scripture gives you a right to just put her or him away so brother you and I didn't know that the scripture says but if you put them away because of incompatibility because of whatever you want to say. Blame the old girl or the old boy for anything you want to say. But you don't have the right to remarry if you just put them away. The only loophole that Jesus Christ gave for even consideration of another marriage 
was if there were immorality involved. And you hear me tonight, there's a, there's a, there's a breath of, of, of this business sweeping across our fellowship. Not just the world, it's sweeping across Pentecost. That if you don't feel good about the one, if you fell out of love, just go get you another one. That's a lie from the pits of hell. You hear me? That book still binds us in marriage to one companion, except it be for fornication or immorality as we understand that to be. And in the case of immorality, if you ever want to seek another companion, for God's sakes, Wait until you've had a chance for a divorce to come through. And until you have a divorce, you're still married. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, anyhow. Somebody say praise. Brother Ewing, why do you have to say these things? Because there just simply happens to be nobody else with the responsibility and the obligation to say it. And it's been a long time since you've heard Pastor preach the way he's preached tonight. And sometimes I like to do these things on Wednesday night, but I'm just as sorry for your sake if you don't like it on Sunday night. God should have given it to me for Wednesday night or some other time. I just happened to be a victim of the Holy Ghost waking me up out of sleep and giving me what I preach to you today. And so help me, God, I am a victim of circumstances. Somebody that loves truth, somebody that loves the cross, somebody that loves obedience and submission to the gospel and the authority of the Word of God, would you stand to your feet and let's clap our hands and magnify the Lord.